0: Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness podcast series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of Cybersecurity Readiness, a Holistic and High-Performance Approach. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an associate professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and Visiting Professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Our discussion today will revolve around tackling burnout in cybersecurity, especially among Security Operations Center staff members. Thomas Kinsella, co-founder and Chief Operating Officer at Times, will share thoughts and perspectives based on his experience and also from the findings of a very interesting research study titled Voice of the SoC Analyst. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you very much. It's great to be on. So before we get into the voice of the SOC analyst report details, Thomas, I'd like to give you this opportunity to provide some highlights of your professional journey. Sure. So I I think I'm a,
2: a security engineer through and through. I spent a little time working in professional services, but then I joined eBay, PayPal and was on the technical investigations team there. So investigating large scale criminal organizations, taking over a huge amount of accounts are committing large-scale fraud on the site, as well as investigating large-scale intrusions for attribution and prosecution. From there, I had the opportunity to join DocuSign when it was relatively young. So myself and Owen, my my partner in in Tynes, our CEO, we joined the security operations team when it was just the two of us. And we grew that team to about 30 people while we went from like a series C company to public. And we were responsible for everything from Incident response, threat intelligence, e-discovery, security infrastructure, fraud. Most things in security that weren't compliance were reporting up to us. And it was really there that we just felt like the same challenges that I think a lot of security teams feel. So just overwhelmed, felt that the job was really hard and that there had to be a better way. And I guess that's where where Tynes came in. I'm sure we'll talk about Tynes a little bit later. I don't want to shill too much much on the show. I know it's not. It's frowned upon a little bit. But we started Tines basically because we, we believe there could be a better automation platform. So it's now four, a little over four years old. We've got 120 people or so, lots of really happy customers. And yeah, it's just a super lightweight automation platform. And I run the customer success team, so pre and post sales engineering. And we basically, yeah, we, we have a lot of customers that are automating loads of repetitive manual security workflows.
1: Thank you, Thomas. That really helps. So you are the subject matter expert when it comes to soc operations that's wonderful um, i
2: won't say the but i've certainly got a little bit of experience experiencing the area and also like my day and my team's day is talking to the best security operations teams out there and learning what they're doing learning how they're approaching the challenge so we've got a lot of perspectives both from this report but also from a lot of a lot of customers and prospects and and peers i suppose
1: Sounds good. Yeah, we're we're all learning. There is no such thing as definite expertise. It's always evolving. <laughs> so, so, same as security. Yep, I totally agree. So, to set the context for our discussion today, I'd like to share a couple of excerpts from the study that we'll be talking about, one of which says, "In my 15 years of being a security practitioner working on incident response and leading security teams, I witnessed over and over again that in the SOC, by the way, SOC stands for Security Operations Center. There's too much work and not enough staff. More specifically, I saw overload analysts so consumed with tedious, repetitive tasks that it led not only to burnout, but to human error that could cost a company millions. And this is really concerning because you can never overemphasize the importance of the work the SOC team does. So to have the best and the brightest, fully engaged, fully energized is so critical. So it's not surprising that this study would be conducted. But I'd like to, again, ask you to share with the listeners what led to the study? What's the purpose of the study? Yeah, so I think we, we were working in security
2: operations teams. We were managing SOCs. We talked to a lot of peers on how they were doing it. And we, yeah, that's what led us to, to start Tynes. We're now, Tynes is four years old. And I, I think we were out of the game a little bit. We were doing a lot of, we were having a lot of conversations with people saying like, hey, here's the reason we started the company. But we wanted to know, was that still the case? We wanted to know, like, had the life of a security analyst improved? Were there better tools? Were there better processes? Was it still the case that they were being overwhelmed with alerts and that they were dealing with too many repetitive manual tasks? And we didn't really have the answer. And rather than go out and just claim it, we said, actually, this would be really interesting. And also, it's we wanted to find out, yeah, a little bit more, like, hey, what, what, how do these people that are on the front line actually feel? It's not good enough to say, like, hey, the managers think that they're overwhelmed. It's like, what do they feel? And how do they, do they enjoy the work? Are they passionate about it? What are their biggest frustrations? What are the things that they love the most? What would they do if they had more time? So we went away and we came up with a list of questions that we thought would be super interesting to find out. And yeah, we conducted the study, but really was the aim of it was to, to see whether or not our, like our initial thoughts still held true and gathered some really interesting information that could be useful for not just SOC teams, but also like CISOs who are making decisions and information security professionals and managers around uh, around the world.
1: Sounds great. Sounds great. So, uh, so as far as the methodology and participant demographics go, let me share with the listeners a couple of highlights here. 468 full-time security analysts were surveyed. They worked at companies with 500 or more employees. The survey was conducted online via Polefish using organic sampling and 45% of the surveyed security analysts worked in the technology sector in addition manufacturing healthcare finance education utilities insurance services state and local government retail and federal were the other industry sectors represented in the sample so the survey really is representative of what's going on in a wide range of industries. So that's really a major strength of this particular survey. Yeah. Before you get to the findings, Thomas, would you like to add anything to this methodology? Yeah, ju- and,
2: yeah. yeah maybe just maybe one or two things. The first is that we only survey people in the United States. So we didn't survey, for example, people who were working and a lot of organizations have like outsourced security operation centers in in India for example or in the Philippines we we didn't study those we felt they're a little bit different and a little bit out of the scope of what we were what we were looking at and the second thing was just in, in terms of the number of employees we tried to split it up roughly as I suppose, as we saw that the market so i think it's 50% or so are in that mid market 500 to 1000 Person company, I think thirty percent or so are in the one to five thousand, and then twenty percent are above five thousand in that more enterprise category. So it's pretty broad, but it is a little bit skewed. Poss- skewed may not be the word, but there's certainly a lot of weight in that. You know, five hundred to one thousand person person company. Just for reference, now we we have the data, we've broken it down, we've pivoted on it a bunch of different ways. Honestly, it's it's very consistent throughout. As you'd expect, but even still, it's just worth noting.
1: Thanks for sharing that. So, so would you say that it's mostly mid-market organizations that you all were able to tap into?
2: Well, twenty percent are enterprise, so above above five thousand. So there's certainly there's certainly a lot there. And as I said, the, the findings were very consistent. But yeah, that I think that it's it's fair to say. Yeah, like between like if eighty percent are between five hundred and five thousand, that makes it makes it mostly that mid-market section.
1: Okay, fantastic. So now getting to the key findings, let's go through each one of these. The first one says 71% of the analysts experience some level of burnout. This could be due to the fact that 69% are understaffed and 60% have seen increased workloads over the past year. Was this surprising to you all?
2: Not particularly surprising to me, but I think there were some adjacent findings to it that were a little bit surprising. So so I think that that staff felt burned out is like, if you go to a conference or you talk to people like online, or if you like interview people for jobs, they'll all say, yeah, I'm just overwhelmed or not, not everybody, but most. So that, that finding wasn't, wasn't too surprising, but there were definitely uh, like the, the fact that 69% say they're understaffed again, that's not too surprising. seeing increased workloads over the last year was a little surprising. You would think that things were getting a little bit better. But there were some, I suppose, adjacent findings just around that in in relation to them burning out. So so there were some interesting things like 69% of them said they were satisfied with their job. And 68% said they were very engaged. And another, the same 69% said they felt respected by their peers outside the SOC. What you normally get with not always. But with burnout, it's it's kind of a combination of a combination of factors. There's you you can't deal you can't deal with things, and you just wanna you want to quit. You feel like it's not worth it. But with in this, it kind of suggests that there's actually a certain element of they really do want to do a good job. That it's not just I they wanna they wanna quit. They wanna give up. That forget about it. It's that they actually they in to some extent really enjoy doing their job. They feel respected. They get a lot of worth out of doing it. So that was really the fact that that, those two kind of clash is really, it's just a really interesting, it's really interesting tension between the, between the points, but no, initially definitely like that confirmed our suspicions. The fact that 70% or so felt burnt out is not, was not really, was not very surprising.
1: Yeah. Just to build on what you said about that interesting tension that security analysts are by nature excited, energized, passionate, yet they are feeling burnt out. And again, referring to another finding which, which states that 64% say they are likely to switch jobs in the next year. So the turnover is is going to be very high. So how what do you recommend organizations do to deal with this challenge? Well, I, I think that just to, to highlight or
2: to, to drill in on something there, 64% Say they intend to leave their jobs. That's not to say that they will actually leave their jobs. I think they they definitely intend to, but yeah. Even with the best intentions, you may a not find a job, or b maybe things will get better, or c it's hard to find the time, and d this was also taken uh, earlier this year, and the economy has shifted a little bit. So I don't know how risk averse or risk prone people will let people will be, but certainly, yeah, a lot of people said they intend to do that. In terms of, I suppose, looking at recommendations, I think I think you have to drill into the data a little bit more to kind of understand some of the pain points that people are people are seeing. So when we asked like I can't say hey here's a recommendation without trying to trying to say like actually what are what are the challenges? And when we asked people what some of their most frustrating aspects of work. This was the like this was a multiple choice question. But over 50% of people said spending time on manual work was one of the most frustrating aspects of their work. The second highest at 37% was the high false positive rates and the third highest was thir- at 35% too many different consoles and tools to investigate incidents. So it really is that it seems to me they enjoy the work they feel respected, but that you're just spending your time shifting from screen to screen investigating alerts that are not high enough fidelity and as a result you're yeah, you're switching context, you're you don't like that it's you're not feeling productive. So even though like people don't mind my experience people don't mind working hard if they feel like they're adding a ton of value and feeling like they're productive in this case people can see the importance of the work but they think it's just like automatable manual boring trivial and i can see why that really leads to burnout and leads to yeah leads to you wanting to move to an organization that's better that that has better tools or that has better processes so i think there's a lot of things that we can do but those are certainly the highlights that i would say that we can if we want to if if, if we want to fix things there are some of the challenges that we can we can address
1: Thanks for sharing. So as you were describing the challenges, one thought comes to mind is why hasn't this automation aspect been addressed yet? Because as we know that from time to time, intelligence is either not detected or intelligence is not acted upon. So lots of misses happen. And It it takes one mistake that could lead to a huge breach. So the, the work of the security operations center, I would think is mission critical. So why isn't priority given to review the workflow, make assessments and bring about process improvements, which includes automation? I'm just trying to understand what's the rationale behind not doing something about it yet? I think some, I think a lot of, first of all, a lot of organizations have, a
2: lot of organizations have embraced automation, clearly, like in my opinion, not enough, but also sometimes it's really hard to find the, like, if you're overwhelmed with alerts, it can kind of be hard to find the time to put your head above the parapet and actually start taking taking action. So if you don't have time to, to audit, like if you're, the, the analogy that we that we normally normally give and i'm not i'm not a huge sports person and i'm also from ireland so I, i'll probably butcher this analogy but if you imagine an american football if your team are on the field playing defense all the time th- the answer is do you need a better defense or actually probably need a better offense and i think that the challenge is that they probably need to hire some people and train them up to be Hey, here's how we automate or use a, a super lightweight tool like times and allow people the time. But if you're spending all your time responding to alerts, it's really hard to, it's really hard to find that time. The second part, and this is kind of ironic, but the better you get at detecting, the more you have to respond to. So if you purchase a new tool, you, all of a sudden it's like, brilliant, we've got better, I've got better visibility into our environment. To a certain extent, you can tune your alerts better. Absolutely. But if you purchase a new EDR tool, it's not as if your alerts are going to go down. Sorry, EDR is enterprise detection and response tool. So, or sorry, endpoint detection and response tool. So a tool like CrowdStrike or Carbon Black or Sentinel One or something like that. If you purchase a tool like that, you all of a sudden, just by definition, have to respond to two alerts and then you have to tune them. So it takes a long time to I well suppose get to a stage that you're ready to yeah you're not that you're ready to automate. You can always be ready to automate, but it, it, can, it can it can actually take a lot of work. The analogy that I sometimes give for that is that purchasing a tool is often equivalent to like purchasing weights or purchasing an exercise bike. They're actually they're good, but they actually just look good in the corner unless you're prepared to use them. So you have to put in the work to use them to tune them to get the value out of them. And I think that's the case with with automation and with a lot of other products as well that people find it too difficult. And that's kind of why we created Tynes. Again, don't want to don't want to shill. But yeah, we, we tried to make a super lightweight automation platform so that those analysts that are on the front line that don't have that engineering experience or that don't know how to code, that they can automate the workflows that they know cold. So they know how to investigate a, a suspicious IP address. They know how to investigate a suspicious file. That's what they're doing all day, every day. So we give them the tools to investigate that and automate that themselves so that they don't have to call in another team to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're basically talking about a thoughtful automation and not mindless automation, which, is, yeah. which happens a lot. I can refer to, say, the whole ERP system phenomenon, enterprise mm-hmm. resource planning systems, where companies invest in an ERP, but they're not ready to fully leverage all the functionalities for a variety of reasons, procedural, people-related, structural, Cultural. So, whenever you're trying to implement a new technology, a new solution, the organization should be prepared. There should be a certain level of readiness. And I'm, I'm sure that applies to this particular automation that, that you are talking about.
2: Yeah, you, it's really hard to automate a process if you don't have a process, is the, uh, is the answer.
1: And oftentimes, you want to better the process before you apply technology to it, right? You don't want to automate an inefficient process. But
2: at the same time, that's kind of where the analysts come in. The analysts in many ways do understand that they do have a process because they're doing that mind, that that manual work day in, day out. They do know how to like process a phishing email. They know, okay, we analyze the headers in this particular tool. We check out the URLs in this particular tool. We upload the files to this sandbox. We add all the results to our case management system. And then an hour later, we replied to the end user saying, thank you for reporting this mail. It was malicious. That's a process. And even though in your head, that's only three or four steps, it's probably 50 or 60 steps because you take different steps. If they're the CEO of the organization, you take different steps if it looks like it's benign. Immediately, you take maybe it's failed DKIM or something, and you take another step. So there's there's a lot of different uh, steps, but the analyst usually knows those. So it's about enabling, yeah, enabling that person who knows that process to automate that uh, automate that task.
1: Okay, and so when organizations, let's say they make the decision of investing in an automation platform, yeah, what else goes with it? Yeah, to make make that a truly successful experience. I think there's there's a, there's a lot of
2: different things. Obviously, you have to assign people to to do some work on it, but there's also important things that you should be thinking about when you're enabling your team just in general, right? So one thing that you should always be considering is, and this isn't something you'll do with in your automation platform, but it's tracking the tracking the alerts by the user, just like by the you should be tracking. The MTT or mean time to respond, you should be tracking mean time to detect, but also like who's responding and who's building these. So, the, who's building is important because what you're identifying is hey, do we have a single point of failure here who's absolutely critical? Maybe she's a rock star and she's built 10 workflows. You probably a, need to keep that person, but B need to train somebody else up who knows your workflows because if she leaves, she's going to take the team with her. And the second part is yeah, tracking who's responding to those alerts, even if they're enriched and there's automated, there's still some response because it can all you can still have people that are left behind that are doing that manual boring work. And what you want to do is you want to make that triage fun again. You want to get people automating the boring, but also keeping the really exciting parts of security. Security is an incredibly exciting area. It's growing really fast. There's a never-ending number of threats it's why a lot of us got into it that you you've an opportunity to grow your career and learn very very fast but you don't if you're yeah analyzing adware all the time and you don't come across a a new breed of malware or you see people on twitter talking about oh look there's this macro enabled malware that's hitting it's it m i'm not sure was it mtd.exe or whatever the new, uh, the, new the new bug in, in in microsoft was or bypassing microsoft in windows was if you can't investigate that, it's pretty frustrating. So you want to make it so that you can, ha- they, these people can have some fun. The next thing that you want to, uh, you want to be investigating just in general is how much time people are taking off. So are they actually overwhelmed? Are they spending enough time? Yeah, are they spending enough time like taking holidays, or are they working all the time? Are they working overtime? How many times have they been paged? How many time? How much time are they spending on call? Because that's another measure of how quickly people will leave the organization or how happy they are in the organization. If they're on call all the time, they're getting paid all the time. You're not doing it. Out, you're not doing it right. And in many ways, you have to. You have to shift left and reduce the risks in your in your organization. There's a whole lot of other things, but there there's some of the things that I can I'd recommend.
1: Sure. Now, what do you think about job rotation and job enrichment in yeah. the context of? Is that done well? Is that done enough? make make it a little more interesting for the staff definitely can be definitely can be done
2: and especially um a lot of people who are younger in their careers actually value that to a certain extent over they they know and rightly so they view their careers as like i'll be working here for i'll be working for 40 years i want to try out a few different things rather than choosing my career and like sticking with it for the rest of the rest of my life so a lot of people will really value that so if you get the opportunity or if you offer people the opportunity to grow, and that could be like go deeper into malware analysis. But if you give them the opportunity to work in compliance or work on the red team or do a shift in IT, and vice versa, you're also you're, you're yeah you're retaining your staff and you're keeping them you're keeping them happier. The next thing is that that's actually really important for diversity. So a lot of people, a lot of organizations, they they'll the people that they hire are that are experienced. They'll be coming from like they'll be a privileged white man, basically. And if you enable job rotation, you're able to and enable internships. You're able to get people with a different background in uh, who you may not have traditionally thought had the skill set to perform SOC duties or to yeah work on a security operations team. If you allow, if you let up like job rotation, not only are you getting people from different backgrounds, you're getting people from different skill sets and you're expanding the pool of candidates that you want. That's so important. Like right now, this isn't anything to do with the, the report. Well, it's to do with the report, but it's not, a, it's not something we found in the report. But there's something... Like 1.8 people for every single job that's needed in security in the United States. There's 600,000 vacancies. We're not going to fill that by just by by continuing with the same. Oh well, we'll hire out of the cybersecurity programs in these 20 universities. The way we're going to fill it is by having a lot of people from a whole diver, diverse range of backgrounds get interested in cybersecurity and be exposed to cybersecurity. So the best teams are doing that, and they yeah that they'll they'll find like a lot of diamonds in there. They'll find a lot of real gems that like, are super, super smart in information security and can add a whole load and aren't, more importantly, just coming from that same mode of thinking. They'll question things. They'll question processes. And yeah, that's definitely effective.
1: Fantastic. So there is another thought here. So uh, talking about job rotation, job enrichment. Yeah. I-, I think this creates a great opportunity for an organization to get the security people outside their comfort zone and expose them to other company operations and also get people from the other business operations and bring them into the SOC center so they have a sense of what the analysts do and what goes on because by engaging in this kind of an exercise, which I would like to call it a little out-of-the-box exercise and which might seem going against the grain of focusing on expertise, but what it does, it sensitizes the entire organization to the importance of the work the analysts do, the security analysts do, and also to the challenges. So this way, the knowledge is spreading. It is getting to the ears of the top management and other decision makers. And at the same time, it's also enhancing the level of awareness and skill sets of the folks who didn't intend on having a career in security analytics. So by taking this approach, you're broadening the pool. You might be able to attract talent from within the organization. Like you said, there is a scarcity of talent in general. So maybe you can tap into some some talent within the organization, And that kind of talent is useful because they understand the business and they also understand the security. The second point I wanted to make, it goes back to my experience in corporate. When I started my career and I was in audit and I was in systems audit, I often wondered that I do this work, who really cares? Who does it impact? Because you are, again, focused in a small area and you are not seeing the big picture. And that creates disillusionment. And I won't be surprised if that happens in this particular context as well. So to be able to offer the a security operating center team, the staff members that be expose them to show them that how their work is valued, how it relates to the top line and the bottom line, that reinforcement, that awareness. Again, is very helpful. It makes you feel that, yes, I am in security, which is seems like a staff function, but what I do is equally valuable and important as the line folks. Does that? The, gel with the, you?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. There's so much that you've had that you shared there. That's yeah, it's good wisdom. there's There's a great book. I'll, I'll touch on two things. one there's a great book called Delivering Happiness by. Tony, and I'm not going to pronounce his surname correctly. Tony, I think it's Shea, but I'm not sure. And it's about his journey to start the, the shoe company, Zappos. It's absolutely fascinating. One of my favorite books, I'd recommend every every listener read it or listen to it. But he talks about like company culture. There are some really out there ideas in terms of matrix org structures for the organization. But one of the things that every single person who joins the organization must do is spend the first two weeks, well, the first two weeks in training, but after that, two weeks on the phone with customers. So their biggest prop is delivering happiness. They're they're delivering happiness to every single one of their employees, sorry, to one of their employees, to one of their customers. So as a result, everybody from the new VP, the new CEO, all the way down to obviously somebody working in customer service, they have to begin their journey on the customer floor talking to customers and it's so so impactful in that it means that everybody understands the importance of that job and also the perspective of actually we're delivering delivering to like the top line as well as the as well as the bottom line. It's it's really it's really impressive. The second part in terms of the security team feeling I suppose disillusioned because they don't feel that love and they don't feel that like they feel separate from the organization. It's so rare to see, and this is where like automation can come in, but it's also where like delivering interesting threat research or spending time outside of that analyst job can uh, can do it. It's so rare to see in an organization or security organization like do anything innovative in a company that often they are just seen as ah oh, they're protecting us from this threat. But in reality, first of all, like many companies and in many institutions the security and and your the company's or the organization's reputation is critical, right? If if you get breached, it's a devastating impact to your your team, to your get yeah, to your staff, to your customers, to your yeah, to, to, to every single person involved and, and potentially you know, to your stock price or to the reputation of your of your university or your of your organization. But that doesn't mean that like security analysts feel that often they feel that as a pressure. On the other hand, what we've seen when people start implementing times or other automation platforms, it's incredible to see a CISO be able to brag about like, hey, here's how much work we've automated. We've automated 72 hours of manual work that we would normally be spending every single week. We've automated that. But what's even cooler is when the CISO talks about here, we're able to offboard employees in five minutes using uh, using this platform. And what you'll see is IT be like, hold on a second. Takes us like eight hours to onboard these employees on the Sunday before they join and set up them up with all these tools. How did you do that? And the CISO is like, oh, I, I'm using this tool. Or you see the like the yeah the security team in the middle of an incident start paying indicators enriched into a Slack channel that's been set up and everything's been archived for compliance purposes. And there's an audit trail of every single thing that's happening. And meanwhile, the site reliability engineering team or the tech ops team are in the same chat or on the same Zoom or incident meeting. And they're like, hold on a second. How are you doing this? How are you monitoring these things? This is crazy. This takes us you know, hours to do. How are you moving so fast? And are like, oh, we're doing this. We're using this tool. And it's so exciting to see that because all of a sudden the CISO is adding value, but also getting credit in the organization for being like, Wow, you've you've done an incredible job here. this is this is really exciting. and that is, yeah, like the CSO's job is normally like delivering bad news and fighting fires. It's very rarely, yep, check it out. just uh, check check out the awesome things that I'm doing. So that's really exciting and and that swagger that they can have afterwards, it goes so far to building those relationships with the IT team or with the tech ops team. With the engineering team, they're like, "Wow, these these people know what they're talking about." And you start being able to move from that organization or that 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 team that's just bringing us problems to these these folks know what they're doing. And like, yeah, she's an she's an amazing leader. So that's it's it's really exciting to see that sort of thing happen.
1: Very true. In an earlier podcast, I was talking to the CEO of a um, billion dollar company, insurance company. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I made a statement. I said, the more I think about it, the job of a CISO is kind of a thankless job. Yeah. Because, because you don't get recognized in general if things are going well. But if something goes wrong and you're breached, obviously that person is on the, gets the, all the spotlight, the focus, and probably can lose their job. In reacting to that, this gentleman, very articulate said, Dr. Chatterjee, I... I beg to disagree. I think it's a very important job. It's not a thankless job. And I said, you know what? I couldn't agree with you more. I definitely, uh, the C-suite, the the CEO of the company, senior leadership should remember that, should recognize that and accordingly empower the function. So, So that is one aspect because after all, that empowerment percolates right to teams such as the SoC, because how the CISO is viewed and valued in the organization will have an impact on how the SoC team feels about their work and the importance of their work. So it's an interesting dynamic, but that's something that organizations to be must be sensitive to. And it again, goes speaks to the point that automation is not the entire solution.
2: No, no, definitely not. But,
1: but automation needs to be supported by appropriate structure, right kind of processes, right kinds of people. Sorry, you wanted to say something?
2: Yeah, no, just just definitely oh like it's not, it's definitely not, it's definitely not the only solution. There's a ton of a ton of things you can be doing. But also that it's even though something can be a, an extremely important job, he did that doesn't refute that it can be thankless. Like it doesn't like it's still really, really hard. And it's not <laughs> it's not yeah, it's not not too surprising. The average tenure of a CISO is Something like eighteen months. That's I. I don't think that's their choice most of the time. I think it's it's really hard to come in and be effective. And oftentimes there's yeah a resistance to to how effective they can be.
1: Yep, true. So reverting back to the actionable actionable takeaways. Yeah. From the report, I, I'd like to share with the listeners four of them, and yep. then I have a couple of questions. The first one says. Improving time spent on reporting makes the second one is making triage enjoyable. The third one, increasing retention by measuring and minimizing burnout. And the fourth, mm-hmm. it's time for no code automation. Mm-hmm. So my my first question here is when it is stated improving time spent on reporting, what do you mean? Because I would think that you want to reduce the the time that is spent, the 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 manual hours that is spent in delivering different times types of reports. So can you clarify? Yeah, I think there's I think there's
2: a few things that 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 came from that came from this. So it's probably a little bit, it's definitely a little bit confusing. The first is it's where analysts spend a huge amount of their time and like time consuming tasks. So I think it was literally the the place they said they spent the most tasks was like capturing notes, capturing metrics, filling out tickets, all that sort of stuff. So I think improve is make that like faster and make sure that you're like you're actually adding value as opposed to just copying and pasting. So I think that's that's one thing that you can definitely do. So basically don't be filling out the same IP address 10 times. Get as much information into a ticket beforehand and then like track yeah so tr- track what incidents are coming up all the time and add value through that reporting so adding value through that reporting could be actually this alert is super noisy and is a false positive positive ninety five percent of the time so it needs to be tuned or as I said this person is answering ninety five percent of the tickets or maybe it's that like actually this alert is super high fidelity maybe we should be looking into building a uh, building a few a few more of these so I think that's some of the things that we talked uh that, that we were recommending when we were saying improving time spent on reporting is like actually just making it more valuable rather than just yeah, filling out an employee's job title in a ticket that that is not something that you that you need. To, it's it's something that's actually really important, but it's not something that you should be doing manually.
1: Okay, that's that's good to know. And then moving on to the second recommendation, which is making triage enjoyable. How do you do that? And if you could clarify for the audience, what do you mean by triage? here? Yeah. So triage is that process of
2: investigating an alert when it comes in. So if you think of a suspicious login alert, this is probably the most common. It's the process of taking that IP address and saying, "Hey, have we where is this we we, get, we got an alert that Steve logged in from Egypt." It's like, okay. Like let's take that IP address. Is it on any known threat intel lists? Have we like has it been seen as bad before? is Steve actually in Egypt? Is it possible that Steve's on holidays? Where is Steve normally based? Does Steve use a MacBook because it looks like this was a login login from a Windows? That process of triaging an alert is just basically investigating the steps involved. It could be looking in your Threat Intel tool, or it could be looking in your uh, in your sim for additional logs, or it could be investigating on your in your EDR tool or in your cloud console in AWS. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. The problem with this when when we say make triage more enjoyable is that bad triage is that repetitive analysis for duplicate alerts, following the screen, same script over and over again. It's noise. It's easy. It's mundane. It's boring. But even worse than that, it's error prone. Like if you're doing this day in, day out for your organization, you're not adding any value, but you're also going to be like, ah, I think this, I think I've seen that IP address before. Or I think, yeah, I think I saw that Dave was in Egypt. And that's not that's not something you want to do. So making it more fun is that process of like being a detective. That's what people really enjoy about security, is that like, huh, I'm detecting something good. And like this is really interesting. And I remember. So, so when I worked in, in in one of my organizations, we were seeing a load of mal spam campaigns. So that's malware campaigns being delivered through phishing. And if you're familiar with those, you'll see the standard names like emotet or trickbot or Hansitter. There's loads of them. And they're really like they're insidious. You'll get hit with them like loads of times every single day. But we had a lot of fun in my organization when we initiated a policy of the first person to track the first or the, the first Hanseter email of the day, the first person that can post that in Slack, like won a prize, basically. So there was just a competition to investigate that. And what that meant was that every single mail, you were immediately on it, being like, okay, what is this? But the next part about it was that you actually started noticing the patterns. So you're like, actually, I don't think Hanseter ever used a ring central team before it's probably not Hanseter or it's like oh yeah Hanseter they recently shifted up their techniques to use this dot doc file like this probably is them so you you start getting people to go deeper but also making people a little bit more excited about like the work that they're doing and not just adding a and not just adding that boring stuff day in day out it's hard to do but honestly you can do it and if you like if you yeah if you, if you make a generate some challenges and you you get people thinking creatively and get people digging deeper they remember the parts about security that they really love Until I'm getting excited about thinking about it now that that was fun but honestly before that like when we just saw 20 males come in that wasn't fun You're like, this is horrible you know so it's 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 making making that triage process fun again and there's a lot of things that you can do that you can do for that so you need to design your team to around, I suppose, minimizing those noisy, easy, mundane alerts and maximizing those, like being initative, those like creative alerts and creative processes that are hard, but also really worthwhile,
1: you know? Absolutely. So one thing that is coming through very clearly from your articulation is one of the challenges and success factor is to be able to tease out and emphasize the creative aspects of the job while automating the non-creative aspect. Exactly that. That like that if that the and honestly, the non-creative aspect is
2: is all automatable. That's like that's why that's why people find it boring. Like if you're looking up an IP address in five different tools or looking up a hash in 10 different tools, or asking a user, hey, do you are you on holidays? Or asking a manager, did you assign these permissions to this person? That's the stuff that you're gonna burn out on. But all of that is actually very easy to do in automation. They're all just simple API calls or they're simple tasks like sending an email or sending user a message in Teams or Slack, you
1: know? Okay, fantastic. So moving on to the third recommended takeaway or actionable item, uh, which is increasing retention by measuring and minimizing burnout. Can you expand on that?
2: Yeah, so I think with this, that... There's a lot of like b- burnout is that lack of support. It's taking on more that you can handle. It's poor self-care. And I think what when we measure the achievements of a SOC, we do measure like the mean time to investigate, the mean time to detect. But what we're not tracking is, I suppose, how our employees are doing as part of that. Or if we are, it's sometimes just the number of tickets that they've answered, which doesn't tell you hey how, how hard those tickets were, or even like... Yeah, if if they're working overtime, or if they if there's any indicators that burn out. So there's some people that have like done a lot of great work on this. MongoDB have great articles on this on their on their website if you want to check it out. But things like measuring who is taking their holidays. So if you're if you've got a, somebody who's worked 50 of the last 52 weeks and has also worked several weekends, and been paged, that person's definitely burning out. Like there's they haven't had the time to to reflect and get time out from, from the organization. Yeah. So who's working weekends? Who's working overtime? Um employee satisfaction reports, but also considering re- that those like yeah, recurring employees' satisfaction reports, but also like management one-on-one. So spending individual time as a manager with each of your employees and asking them genuinely, hey, how are you doing? What do you want to work on? What are your goals for the next three months? And then reviewing those goals after those three months. Standard management stuff. But again, it doesn't happen when you're slammed with alerts but those are i think those are some of the things that we that we recommend that it's just not good enough to yeah it's not good enough to 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 measure this the standard things in a sock in order to keep your team and in this work this time you you have to start measuring uh, measuring how they're performing and not just how many tickets they've opened but more importantly like hey you know how they're actually performing how their mental health is performing it's a really tough job so we need to track it and the last part about that sorry i should have said this at the start. It's important to be really open about your mental health and talk about, you know, normalizing the conversation and saying, this is a tough job. It's okay if you're struggling. It's okay if you find this overwhelming. And offering in place, you can talk to me, you can talk to your manager, you can talk to your peers, or you can talk using the employee assistance program if you have it in place but in managers at normalizing that conversation and saying i've been burnt out at work or i've experienced these challenges with my mental health is really really important uh, to 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 share otherwise you're 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 kind of saying like yeah yeah no like i'm sure you're burnt out but i've never shown any experience of like of noting that's only weak people are you can't do that it like incredibly strong and incredibly just intelligent people everybody gets experiences it it's not something that you're doing wrong it's the same as breaking a leg, playing sports or something like that. It can happen to everybody.
1: I'm, I'm so glad you you said what you said because it's so important to have that candid conversation or to create an environment of honesty and candor where somebody can just go to their manager or to their peer and say, look, I'm experiencing this, I could do with some help and offer that help without treating it as some kind of a inability. It is not an inability, like you said, it can happen to everyone. And this reminds me of something from another episode where this this CISO takes this approach where when a, a particular user fell victim to a phishing attack and confessed and said, look, yes, I was trained, but I messed up. I'm sorry about it. Recognizing the honesty of it and using that user as an example of somebody quickly reporting the breach, alerting everyone, and not trying to hide and trying to fend off investigations and rewarding that kind of honest behavior and then supporting it with paying and any other kinds of educational programs. That is so very critical. And I'm glad that you all are talking about it in as one of the takeaways. So we are running out of time. I could, can I add? Really, yes, I know yes, we're running out please,
2: of time, but really quickly please. to that, I had a fantastic experience of that where yeah. we had a we had an incident in again one in, in in my career where. We had a, an executive assistant, so a C-level staff member's executive assistant, report a phishing email. Didn't click on it, just reported it. We said, oh, wow, okay, this looks uh, targeted. Like the fact that a C-level staff member is receiving a, a phishing email or an executive assistant is receiving a phishing email, this is bad. We looked to see had anybody clicked on the link, and we detected three people had clicked on the link. And when we looked to see who received the email, five people, uh, in addition to the, the executive assistant had received it, all executive assistants so at this point we had like not whatever six recipients three people clicked on the link we contacted those three people two of them had entered their credentials we locked their accounts immediately like investigated we saw failed login to our, their failed logins to their accounts about 30 minutes later and the only reason we detected it was as a result of that one executive assistant reporting it it was incredible we like uh, we gave her loads of <laughs> loads of uh, loads of props as you'd expect but it really was an indication of, I'd much rather you report those. Every Even if you're unsure, report that phishing email because without her, we would have had a major, major incident on our hands because all of those have, well, they've got access to a lot of sensitive information anyway, but they also have access to their C-level staff members' mailboxes. So it was really, really important, but super critical. So definitely shame is the exact opposite of what we should be doing in security. We should be like, it's so, it's so hard to get right we have to be encouraging people to report and knowing that like people are going to make mistakes. That's why we have defense in depth.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. So finally, let's talk about the fourth actionable takeaway, not necessarily in the order of importance. It's just number four. Yep. And, and that is it's time for no code automation. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, so like I think a lot of people have thought of automation. So that's like writing scripts. The challenge with a lot of automation is that it's really hard to do. And as a result, those people that know the processes just can't do it. So what we've built in Tynes is we've built a really lightweight, no code automation platform that allows anybody. So that's like interns or like, like low level, low level is not a good word, like SOC analysts of like tier one or engineers to automate their own workflows. So that could be that manual task of investigating an IP. It could be an engineer who knows how to like build an incredibly complex process. Their tool is simple, but not simplistic. It can go very deep. But the idea is that those people who know the process will be able to use, in our case, a simple drag and drop builder to automate away those tasks. So just to say, okay, I want to investigate an IP address in this tool. I'm going to drag on an action and I can investigate that IP address. I want to send an email, I'll drag on an action and send an email. I want to contact a user on Slack, I'll drag on an action. I contact a user on Slack. And we make it simple enough that people with very, very little experience are able to build and as a result allow them to focus on much more impactful risk reduction efforts. The no code part is just that it's and we make it super easy so that you really don't need to be a developer. It's not to say that you don't know how to you'll still have to know what an IP address is, kind of thing, but it it means that it's just yeah, super, super flexible, lightweight, easy to learn. And we've got, yeah, some incredible teams from like small startups through awesome security teams, great, great consumer teams, some universities, yeah, like all the way up to Fortune 10s using the using the platform to all in the all in the exact same way. So that's what it is. But the power of that is really so the reason we say that as a takeaway is that if you allow those people that are super familiar with the process, they are able to, they say, oh, I know exactly what this is. But also it means that when there's a tweak to the process, they're like, oh yeah, actually, normally if it's the CEO, we won't send the, thanks for reporting, we'll be back to you in 24 hours email. We'll probably say, yeah, we'll be back to you immediately, or we'll alert somebody and wake up somebody to to respond to that. And that part is the people that are familiar with that process are able to automate that part of the process as well. So that's, that's, that's the idea behind it. And then ultimately it's that if you do that, first of all, they're fulfilling that creative part that you kind of talked about earlier, and then they're they're no longer dealing with as many manual repetitive alerts, and they're able to focus on much more impactful risk reduction efforts that are actually going to add value to you, to the business. That's the idea.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, so if you can the extent to which you can reduce the technical hurdle, it always helps. It helps get more people involved and interested and engaged. Well, Thomas, this was a fascinating discussion. I, I wish we could go on. But in, in the interest of time, we have to conclude here. Once again, before we wrap things up, do you have any final words for the listeners? Just, yeah, thank you so much. I've re- I've really enjoyed being on.
2: If you do want to check out Tynes, we've got a free community edition, so anybody can use it. Tynes.com, just sign up for, I think you get three workflows completely for free. And yeah, you can reach out and say, hi, I'm on Thomas, or sorry, twitter.com slash Thomas Kasek. LinkedIn, I'm just Thomas Kinsler. And yeah, I'd love to say hi, especially anybody that wants to talk about the future of security operations or mental health, burnout, the future of the SOC. I'd love to have those conversations. And um, so, yeah, please do reach out.
1: Well, thank you, Thomas. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. A special thanks to Thomas Kinsella for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.
0: The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis, with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.